course, there's educators that probably shouldn't be educators, but then there's also probably parents that shouldn't be parents. Hey, what's shaking? Welcome back to the All In Podcast. I'm Rick Jordan, your host. Today, my guest has been homeschooling for over a decade and has become one of the foremost experts in alternative, supplemental, and customized education. This is huge, especially coming out of the pandemic and a lot of remote schooling. But here's the cool thing. She's also founder and CEO of Brandlink, the co-founder of the Epic Companies and Mead Holdings Group, with a combined valuation topping $100 million and has been featured alongside Richard Branson, and Shaquille O'Neal, and in publications like Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Money Magazine. Jessica Mead, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So that was, a, that was amazing when I was reading through your bio and, and just combining all those things because, you know, you're just blowing the traditional like mom thing out of the water. It's amazing. That's my goal. No, <laughs> I, you know, I don't think, I don't think as a, as a female that I ever set out thinking I'm going to blow it out of the water. I just have always been really sure of, of who I wanted to be and how I want to evolve and what I want to show my kids and my, my family, um, and the women that work for me, what, what can happen if you, if you really put it, put all you're all into it. So that's so awesome. And you, you definitely have to with everything that you have going on. That's, that's incredible. But homeschooling, right? We're, we're coming through this pandemic right now. And my kids, if you want to call them homeschooled, they, they are, you know, in essence, I mean, you go to homeschool.org or whatever it is, and it's Bridgeview Academy. I've talked about this a little bit on the show here and there, but there's a, it's not to where parents are really fully involved to where they're teaching their kids at home. And we started this with our kids prior to the pandemic to where, just because I saw some flaws with the public education system and my, like, for example, even my, my son and my daughter, they're in theater companies outside of school itself because it's just what they want to do. My son's PE, my eldest son's PE, he's a competitive swimmer, one, one and a half hours a week, five times a week. You know, he's in a club that trains people for the Olympics. It's really cool. The opportunities that they have, you know, and it's not even <laughs> financially speaking, it's not even as much as like legitimate, like private school or traditional private school. It's incredible because there's some live zoom classes, but then there's also self paced things with videos. You know, it's incredible to see them learn this way. What, what method are you using to homeschool your kids or are you like hands-on? So I'm really hands-on for me. Well, let me back up. I think it's extremely important to really get a grasp on your child's learning style and what that means. Um, like, so for example, my son, Jackson, he's a multiple of things. He's kinesthetic, he's social, he's a naturalist, he, um, he's more auditory. And so by knowing these things with him, I'm able to kind of create this this school of sorts, this curriculum based on his interests. Um, so I, I practice with my kiddos because it suits them best in interest-based, project-based type learning, meaning all that we do 
is centered around their interest at the moment. And that changes whatever it happens to be. Like right now, my kiddo, uh, Jackson, he really wants to be a zoologist, a seaplane pilot. Um, He wants to take over his dad's companies. Uh, (laughs) I mean, he's got all of these things, right? And so I kind of, I base everything around that. And then I do it in a project-based way. So where each subject is integrated with one another. I love that. So in essence, both you and I, it sounds like, are really looking for the same outcome with our kids, is to center their education around their desires and interests. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I mean, public school teachers, I mean, it's amazing some of the things that they go through. But then we've also had people on the show who are saying maybe some of them shouldn't be teachers because, uh, you know, you, you look at the... You know, one of my films this past year, Liberty Lockdown, was about the the government lockdowns and the overreach. And when you saw what some of the kids had to go through, because some of these educators just did not understand even like you're talking about how kids actually learn. You know, so when they shifted to remote learning and in these Zoom classrooms, teachers were getting pissed at the students just because they were getting distracted, but they're not understanding their new environment of being at home. And sometimes it's a small apartment, you know, especially in, in inner city areas to where they're on a, and now the dog runs across <laughs> the Zoom screen, you know, and that, and that, now they get distracted. Of course they're going to get distracted. Oh, you know, but the, I, I have so much to say about that. So I'll try to just sum it up. It's it was so frustrating for me. So here in L.A., I got asked like the day L.A. announced that they were going to shut down the schools. They asked me to come on and they're like, what are some tips for parents? And I'm, I honestly panicked for these children because so many children, especially here in, in, in the L.A. school district, they rely on school for resources, not just not just food, but shelter and love in a safe space. And so. Yeah. I think even daycare think, so the parents can work. Absolutely. A yeah. lot of families work two jobs. So you, we don't know the life that these children are living at home, but also the resources that are available to them. So a lot of these kids, they went for months without before they figured out the how to actually feed them because probably over half these kids, it's that one meal a day they get at school. So there are so many bigger factors to this and so extremely frustrating. And my best friend is an educator, a high school educator, and she couldn't get these kids to do anything. Like they just, they wouldn't do anything. And then a lot of them was, was they didn't have internet, they didn't have access. So then school districts realized we have to figure out a way to get them access. And they just really did not think it through in the way they should. And they also didn't educate and train the teachers. I mean, you got to think about it. These, these teachers had to completely change the way they educate. They had to completely rewrite everything that they they're going to do with their students in a way that they could deliver it to them so that they can do it on their own and at home. And a lot of kids don't learn that way. So I think what we saw and what we are seeing is a lot of kids are going to be really behind because they basically got nothing for the, whether it was six months, a year, I think here in LA, we're just now going back to school in Washington. I think uh, we have a home there. They're just about to go back to school, but like in Texas, they started um, in January. And I mean, these kids, there's no self-motivation, no drive. It's just, it's a big, it's a big thing that, that is just going to be devastating for so many children and for educators for a long time. 
No doubt. And you're right when you say for both of those, there are really two sides of the coin. Because of course, there's educators that probably shouldn't be educators. But then there's also probably parents that shouldn't be parents. I'm just throwing out a straight truth on this, right? Yes. It, yes. <laughs> I, I did a segment on uh, bullying. I mean, I was even in, uh, in LA, I was in top 10 uh, markets with this on TV on the ethics of bullying. And one of the things that I saw with parents, you know, from like the psychology is they, I felt bad for the educators and for the administrators because it's like parents would almost abdicate their responsibility to parent their kids and just depend on the educators to actually guide them through these, these scenarios in life that actually got me kicked off of Las Vegas TV when I was there, when I said Ooh, that, yeah, wow. but the superintendent <laughs> of the Las Vegas of the Henderson school district was on right after me <laughs> on the station oh, no. out there. Yeah. But he was like, yeah, he's like, oh, that's right. He's I'm like, I'm getting their backs, you know, but that it was just too, too strong of a stance for the viewers that the viewers got pissed, you know, when I was getting the, the stance of the educator and, but it, it really is both sides, you know? So with this remote learning stuff, it's almost like some educators were abdicating their responsibility and their job to do what's right for the kids, but then parents too, you know, not from the daycare perspective, but that they depend on it for resources, like you're saying, but they were saying, well, shoot, you know, where's my source of parenting now? You know, and how do I do that? And now they're thrown into the scenario. It's like, well, you should have been parenting your kid the whole time. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've talked a lot about uh, the difference between concerted cultivation versus natural growth and, and how that shapes children and how families basically grow their kids. And I think in both circumstances, you see a healthy number of parents that they rely completely on school to educate and sort of mold their child. Yeah, to instill they, values that are not yeah. even their own. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I mean, one of the coolest parts about homeschooling to me is you're not on anybody's schedule. You don't have to recreate school, traditional school in your home. And, um, you know, if they have extreme hobbies or interests, I know a family who uh, their little kiddos um, are really big into ice skating. The daughter just competed at the Junior Olympics again. And I mean, homeschooling for them gives them them freedom to pursue those interests, but also she's still getting a solid education in the mix. So I, I, I hate that I got pulled onto so many things and like, can you tell us how, how to homeschool during this pandemic? And I'm like, well, first, I think you need to understand that what's happening is distance learning. It's not homeschooling. If it was homeschooling, it'd be completely different. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, I should. <laughs> yeah, I, I can get on. I can get on my soapbox on many things. So I'll try to. I'll try to rein it in. There's a stigma, you know, that homeschoolers are socially awkward too, and I have seen this this mindset across the world. Because when I was telling everybody this is what I'm going to do with my kids. You know, and they're like, oh, you know, you can't, don't do that because they're going to have development problems, social development problems. Uh, when to the contrary, you know, because I've done things like integrate them. I mean, my oldest son and I, I think, always think back to pre-pandemic days, July 4th. So I guess I was 2019. So he would have been 11 at the time. You know, he went out to my branding agency at the time. We were dropping some podcasts out there in the studio and we were hanging out with Naveen Jain, who's a tech billionaire, has a space program. So, I know and, him. Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, we were watching fireworks with him and we had dinner with him and Dave Asprey. And my nice. my oldest son was having a conversation with Naveen. And then Naveen comes up to me afterwards. He goes, I didn't know kids that age could be that coherent. <laughs> like, um, 
Homeschooled yes. and not socially awkward. <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. I get that all the time. Um, so here's the thing, you know, the same stigma can be said about kids who grew up as an only child, right? Like how did they socialize? How did they get that interaction? But I actually believe it's quite the opposite because homeschooling children, uh, only child, they they've actually trained themselves to be more self-motivated self-starters. They engage people with people at just every opportunity in their vocabulary and comprehension is just incredible. So think about this, where do people, where do humans interact and connect the most in areas of interest? So if you think about the conversation that you've had, what have been most natural to you? It's, it's likely that it was areas where you've had a commonality or, or a common interest with that other person. And kiddos get this from, uh, they develop these social skills from things like um, like with your son, like swimming, soccer, dance, theater, scouts, uh, science programs at museums, wherever that is, it's not typically at school. So the idea that they're not going to a school and they're going to be these, you know, dysfunctional social interactors just blows my mind. I mean, at people that meet my son, he's nine now, they're like, that is, I mean, he, he's like talking to an adult with a better vocabulary. Like he just blows my mind. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's always been the same, even with my youngest, who's 11 now, but you know, ever since he was six and seven years old, the things that would come out of his mouth would just blow the minds of any adult that's around. But it's because of this too. Yeah. You're talking about the socialization in public schools. Where really do they have the opportunity to socialize outside of lunch hour? You know, Lunch, or the five recess. minutes. Yeah. 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 No, it doesn't. And, and oftentimes she talks about bullying earlier. And I think it really is one of the big reasons that parents pull kids out, especially starting in junior high or high school. Um, I know so many families that have pulled their kiddos out because uh, bullying was the main factor. And, you know, you don't deal with that when you're when you're homeschooling and you're putting kids with like minded kids. If you do something like a co-op or group classes outside of it to to add on, um, these kids are like minded kiddos or usually are. Um, and and you, you cut that out so you don't have to deal with the, the bullying aspect of it. Right on. It's so awesome, too, because now, you know, if my daughter's in theater and she makes friends with the theater company, which, by the way, is audition only to get in. You know, so now it's not just anybody can sign up. It's actually, hey, you have to put in the work to even be a part of this, which instills some good responsibility in, in any age of a child. But then she forms friends in theater company. And then she's like, you know, I want to see my friends. I'm like, cool, text them. Just ride your bike to Starbucks. Here's my Starbucks gift card. You know, go for it. It's it's real socialization, you know. Versus- sure. And you're comfortable with it. And you know that it's, it's taking her in the direction that's going to help her grow both mentally and emotionally because they're, she's making the right connections, not being thrown in with kids that, you know, could could possibly harm her in some way. You got it right on. So with homeschool students, how do you feel that they have the upper hand in life when it comes to socialization? Well, I mean, I, I, what I have witnessed with homeschooling kids, especially ones that are going off into college, if that's the path that they choose, I think they get picked over a lot of other kids because they, um, they are self-starters. They are self-driven. They've, they've had to manage their time. I think they're willing to spark a conversation and make a connection and they know how to do it in a more meaningful way because they've, 
they've had to do that along the way. They've had to learn how to interact, especially with adults. Like if your teacher is your mom or your dad or your aunt, or you do co-op classes and the parents take turns with it, um, you're not just a student sitting in a class listening to a teacher and not being required to engage. When it's that one-on-one or three-on-one type of interaction, you have to have a voice. You have to speak up. You have to use your words. You have to um, you might have to have to have manners. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that that are required with it that make these these children just inspired, incredible humans, you know, once they get into adulthood. That's awesome. The, let's get into some of the mechanics, if you could, because uh, there's a lot of th- there is a movement right now. Would you agree more towards homeschooling? especially coming sure. out of the, yeah, it excites me and it scares me. <laughs> yeah. Same, same here in a lot of ways, you know, one, because I don't know if a lot of parents necessarily know what they're getting into yet and, sure. and understand the, the requirement that they have to have in this, you know, from responsibility of time, you know, in essence, mm-hmm. depending on which way they choose. Cause the way that I go with my kids, there's a lot less time involved from the adults because it really is like a private school, just online. It's yeah, different. You I know. know. I know what you're talking about. I've heard of that one. Um, we have supplemented sometimes with a school called Laurel Springs. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with Laurel Springs. So we have used that for certain classes or like my um, the friend I was telling you about uh, that's an educator. Her daughter homeschooled for for about a year and a half and they did the science courses on there together. Um, and I got all of the manipulatives like the, the microscopes and everything that they needed because they did labs together and she would actually fly out here from Texas and they'd spend like two weeks on it real immersive. And then, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So in there, there's a little less responsibility that I would say that I have from what you do. You know, it's just the route that we chose to go with our kids because it fits our life for integration. But do you have, because this will help the parents, I'm sure, do you have a certain type of schedule or morning routine or something like that to help your kids and that helps you? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, no. I mean, so when when I get up, okay, so let me back up. I'm kind of a unique person because I've... I've had a decade to sort of work this out so I can give you my routine and I'm just going to be straight. It, d- it didn't fall into this flawlessly at the beginning. I mean, Oh, it sucked I think, at the beginning, didn't it? <laughs> oh my God. Let's be real. Okay. It yeah, no, <laughs> there were days where, you know, so it started with my daughter who's now 16 and by the way, she's done with high school. Um, but she, Bam, did you hear that? <laughs> 16 and done yeah, with high school. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, this girl would blow your mind, but she also is into theater and music and things like that. But then she has all these other interests and, and I just, I'll get back to what you asked me, but the coolest part about homeschooling children is there's nobody there crushing um, their dreams or their goals, telling them to think real or be realistic. Here's the path you need to follow. So you do this, this, and this, and then you get to live your life. They get to create it and they still get to believe that they can do anything and be anything. And we have the capacity to ignite that in them. So to me, that's one of the cooler things of it, but um, morning. So 
morning routine now versus when I started, because there were days where we'd, we'd start our day and I'd be like, you know what? We're both crying. We're about to quit this day and start all over again tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, that's okay too. That's okay. Yes. It happens. You know, it just, that's the way it goes. And I think parents need to show their, their themselves and their children a little grace and mercy when it comes to that, because that's going to happen in life. But uh, morning routine for me is, so I get up and it actually starts the night before I make a list. I make a, a personal and professional list of what I need to accomplish the next day. And I always prioritize that list. So I put uh, the big thing, the thing I really don't want to do at the top. And I make sure I get that done first. Usually that's in business. So I spend my morning from about 6 7 o'clock until about 10 30. And that is my window to to work with my companies and get my time. So I'm very bullish on my time and how I manage that time. Um, but then then I switch to my kiddos. But my kiddos is sort of in tr- they're night owls, and so they don't get up usually until about ten o'clock. And now that my daughter's sixteen, she kind of gets up, hangs out with her brother. I'm done by 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and then we start our day together. So that's kind of how we do that. Um, but I get up every morning and I kind of do some self-talk, motivate myself. I'm my own best type person. And I think about um, something I tell people to take with them, children and employees. I change one of the words for employees, but to wake up every day and put your courage confidence, curiosity, and love in your pocket and know what's required with each of those words for you for the day um, and, and implement that. And with, with my employees, instead of love, um, I use a different word, but it's, uh, it's so important to, to kind of have that time for myself in the morning and get myself going, get, um, get my work handled. And then I get the rest of the day with my kiddos. And I do follow up about three o'clock. I follow up uh, with my work again for about an hour. That's cool. That's a good rhythm for work too. You know, just in general, I would have to say to anybody who's an entrepreneur or just in business, when I do that, when I travel with my kids, because it's one way that I integrate, you know, my daughter just flew to Florida to meet me this past Friday and we just oh, hung cool. out. We were it, just in Florida. You know, were you? <laughs> yeah. Great state. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. And we won't get on that political soapbox, nope. but no, <laughs> but yes, it, I've done this a lot to where they've spent some days with me there. Just I've been down there on business. One kid, I do this every year. One kid will fly to meet me. Just uh, they've been doing that since they were seven years old. You know, all of them since they were that young. And we would set up a pattern to where I would do the same thing. I would work in the mornings until about 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Then we would just go have fun, whether it's a Disney or Universal, whatever. But then I'd come back at night, you know, because we just we're not those hardcore park people. You know, we just like to chill and actually relax a little bit. So then I'd come back to Yes. (laughs) I would just come back to that work at night, you know, and this even goes to like some European cultures. Like that's literally where the word siesta came from is this middle of the day break for those who are in work. And it's pretty cool because I hear from what you're saying that you're filling it with the time for homeschooling to be with your kids and help them achieve their goals. I am because, you know, it doesn't. I think once you start homeschooling and you quit fighting the idea that you have to mimic 
school, uh, like public or private school, and you kind of really pay attention to your child, what hours of the day they learn best. Like Jackson, he has to, about every 30 minutes, if we're working on, on something, he takes a little dance break, a trampoline break, he zip lines, he's rolling around the grass. It doesn't matter. He's got that break. So we have a lot of dance parties in our family, but he, um, you know, paying attention to how they learn their time. So with my children, I know the best time of the day. I know when to engage with them and to, to get the most out of them. And also with homeschooling, um, I know it's a little different for you, but if you're doing it my way, um, you don't have to spend eight hours teaching them. They It's not required, you know, especially with little kids. You you need maybe two hours. With my daughter, it was about three hours a day. Um, and they she loves to teach him as well. So she, there's a lot of that integration with her teaching him, but we, I don't know if you saw anything on my profile, but I'm a, we're a big Disney family and I am a big Disney mom. So we were just there. Uh, Matt and I were speaking at uh, this thing in Miami. And then we went up to Disney for about five days and that's how we do it. We work in the morning. The kiddos know we'll leave for the park around 1130, 12 o'clock. We'll have yeah, some lunch, yep. have a little fun. Yeah. And then, Yeah. Yes, I like it. <laughs> it's a great rhythm, isn't it? It's pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah. And it works for us. That may not work for everybody. I know people who, you know, their kiddos get up at, you know, six o'clock and they're ready to do that. And, and they just change their day up. So if their kid learns best from seven to 10, that's their time to work with their kid. And then I always get asked, well, if you're working from home right now, how do you, how do you manage that with younger children or, or even just, you know, kids that are, you know, your age and I get them involved in what I'm doing. It's so important to let kids know we, so we try to separate our children, our family, our spouse, we, our business from our home. We, we separate everything in this way to where it's like, we have to be 20 different people. And it's, it's one of the, the questions um, that you had sent out, but it, it's called intentional congruence. And that's kind of what we practice. And we came by it organically because we, we tried something and it wouldn't serve us. So we, you know, I always say shed what's not serving you. If it didn't serve us in our family or in our business life, then we would shed it. And so it's finding this harmony where it all works together. And one of the ways is, is even in a small way, you know, if you're at home and you're a graphic designer, show your kids what you're working on. Maybe boring. It may be something that's not as super <laughs> cool that you're designing, but show them what it means and how you can do cool things when Photoshop or InDesign or whatever program you're in. But just involve them in some way. Get them, get them excited and and understand it. They also become very mindful and respectful of your time. So then you can say, instead of saying mommy's working right now, I need you to leave me alone. It's like, hey, mommy's working. Want to see what I'm working on? And and guess what? I'm going to need 35 more minutes to finish this task. So, you know, you want to sit here and watch me maybe draw next to me, you know, and try to create what I'm creating. Or I mean, there's so many ways to involve our kids and make it find this harmony that works. Right on. My oldest son now is starting to do some video editing. I mean, even for the show, he's learning how to use Adobe Premiere and Adobe Audition. Yeah. And then my daughter is actually starting to try her hand at copywriting which is also kind of fun too, because she enjoys, I mean, the stuff that she writes in her imagination is just incredible. It's like, cool, would you like to give this a shot? You know, see how this goes, you know? Even for uh, uh, Ashley, who's uh, who also were b developing her brand to coincide with, with the Rick Jordan brand, it's pretty fun. So she's doing some things there too for like moms and business and all that. And then my youngest son, when he saw this, who's 11, he's like, dad, do you have a job for me too? 
You know, <laughs> was, oh, yeah. so he's seeing the interest in this, you know, and just saying, well, Hey, sure. how, how can I jump in? You know, <laughs> it's awesome. And that's, that's the best kind of relationship too, that you can build is so that creates that awareness and they feel involved and then they get excited and you never know where that's going to take them. I mean, it, it, their future is so wide open because you like, like us probably parent with a, you know, there are no boundaries. There are no ceilings, you know, dream as big as you can go as hard as you can, because why not? Who's telling you different? Yeah, for sure. I love that. So there's a stat. you ready for this, that homeschool students consistently test 30% higher than national public school average in all subjects tested. And I see that. And I don't know how you feel, but I'm just like, duh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. You know, that, that's oddly enough. That's one of the questions I get asked a lot is, well, um, how do you know they're doing good? Do you test them or do you have the test to show? And we here in our Western civilization, we have this crazy attachment to testing all these standardized tests and everything. And, and I get it. And, you know, I won't get into how I feel about it, but rather than then constantly testing them and grooming them to test so that the school districts get more money because the test scores are higher. It'd be, it'd be wise to start focusing on um, really dedicated education and making sure that these kids are walking away with real, you know, life skills and usable skills. Really, um, <laughs> it's so frustrating for me. But I do test my kids. Uh, it's not a test that I give them. It's an outside test. And they've always scored way above. Uh, Isabella was scoring out of high school in, let's see, I think seventh, eighth grade, because she just, she, and it's, it's centralized learning. So it's that condensed learning. In a classroom, you have, what, 30 kids? And the teacher is up there. She's she or he has to get their attention, has to get them engaged. They're able to cover something. But what they cover in that hour long class, I mean, it may have taken me 10, 15 minutes to cover. The other thing we do is if we're really interested in something, we can stay on it as long as we want. In school, they have to move past it. They can't hover. They can't stay. They can't linger in that space until everybody has comprehension. So a lot of kids, they just never get it. I'm with you on that for sure. My kids in the version of homeschooling, I keep doing the air quotes for those that are watching. Yeah, but it's really, homeschooling. Yeah. yeah. It is, yeah. <laughs> they do have tests and it's, uh, it's interesting because I don't, I know that the real thing that I care about is if they're actually grasping and learning the information. I care so much less about the actual test scores. But at the same time, it's a, it's almost like they're an indicator of some sort. So we this was one of those, you know, during like the first three months that we dove into this, that was like the suck period <laughs> to where we were trying to figure things out, you know, but then it was like, okay, there's a D on a, on a unit exam here, you know, okay, why did you get the D? But then it just became a hard and fast rule that if you get lower than 80% on anything, You've got to text your teacher. And this is so cool because they can text their teachers too and set up, you know, whatever meeting they want. That's fine. And then go back and review what you missed and why. So then they still get that support to learn things. And most of the time they'll get A's and B's. But you know what? If they still get a C on it after working with their teacher, I don't really care because maybe they just didn't take the test. Because I know my daughter, if she, at least back when in second grade and third grade, this was in the public school system, when she would see test questions on a computer. Now she would learn on paper, but then their testing went to computer. 
And my argument with that school district and the administration was you're testing them in a format that they're not learning in. So how can, how can you move and expect the brain to process that? I mean, I'm no educator, but I understand from running businesses that it's completely different parts of the brain going from pen and paper and handwriting things to taking something on a screen. It's processed differently. So she couldn't make that transition over and very easily. And then on the screen, she would see, you know, like all 50 tests or questions on the test and have to scroll through it. And it was just more overwhelming for her. So now you can even set it up to where you can just look at one question at a time on these things. And that helps her process better. Sure. Well, testing, testing is really like a, a check mark for comprehension, but it's, it's flawed because not all kids are good testers. I mean, if we take my daughter, Isabella, for example, if you put her on the spot or you have her take a test on something, I mean, she clams up, she freaks out and it could be she could have complete clarity on whatever it is, but she's, she's not going to do well. And that's the thing with learning styles. And it's, you brought up even with business, it's important to know. I mean, I know the learning styles of all my employees across all the companies. I, I pay attention to these things. So I know how to communicate with them and how to get the most out of them and how to push them and, and see that they're thriving and moving forward inside our walls. This is the same thing with children. We we can't assume that um, they don't necessarily have the comprehension just because they didn't take a test well. Um, f- funny thing is, is I get asked that too, like, how do I keep grades and what do I do with that? And, and honestly, I don't give grades on anything because I'm there with them and I understand their comprehension. Um, I don't need something to say, check you know, I know that they understand this because I'm seeing it and and observing this every day. Um, but in in that situation, and same with like Laurel Springs, it's nice that they have the teacher there and they can go back to the teacher and have that private one-on-one like Zoom type thing if they needed it to make sure that the clarity is there and that they're grasping it. So there's there's good in all different ways of homeschooling. Um, the of other course. thing. Yeah. The other thing you had asked me about, obviously, um, of how to approach it and things to think about outside of the learning styles, I would say figuring out what type of homeschooling you want to do. We've talked a lot about how you do it versus how I do it, but there's so many different styles out there from unschooling to Sudbury to Waldorf to, um, I mean, there's so many, how I do it, project interspace versus an online type of thing. So I think finding what works best for the family is really, really key. And then, like you said earlier, uh, how does it work with the time? How, do, how are we going to integrate this and still have a good flow and harmony in our family? And also if we're working, both parents are working, how do we make that work? Yeah, that's another conundrum too. Yeah, but especially if both parents are working, that was something I thought of in my head because that's not the case, you know, because a lot of times this burden falls on the mom. It just does. It's just how, how society is. And if you ha- have to have a double income home, then it becomes more of a challenge too, especially if, but I, I guess it's even maybe a little bit easier nowadays because it depends, I guess, on the job that you have. I mean, if you're working from home because of the remote workers, just like there's remote learning now, there's a lot of remote workers that exist because of this post-pandemic Zoom era that we're in. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of employees working at home, especially here in California. For sure. But, but if, you're, okay. if you're working from home as like a customer service rep for Comcast or something like that, 
You know, you're yeah. expected to be online taking calls during a certain period or United Airlines, you know, I swear everybody or Marriott, everybody I talked to at the ambassador <laughs> desk is sitting in their pajamas, uh, you know? Too. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I feel like we're a lot alike. You know, we're, yeah. uh, we're ambassador elite members with Marriott yeah. and, you know, I feel the same way. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they sound a lot more chill than what they used to, you know? Yes. Yes. They're very comfortable. <laughs> right on. Like, oh, no problem, Mr. George. And you know what? I'm just going to email the hotel for you. I'm going to call him right now. I'll get back to you in a little bit. Like, <laughs> are you, you doing anything else today? <laughs> I'm your number one priority, it yeah, sounds like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right on. So there's um there's another thing that maybe we can finish off our conversation with this, you know, is the age to start your kids in homeschooling. Now, I'll give you my experience, please. And then if you could give me yours, because it's about the right age. And one thing I noticed with my kids was I felt like with my older two, because they're twins, so they're 13 now, but when they were 11 is when they started with. So we've been doing this two years, not a decade like you, but uh, two years. And I felt like with them, there was a lot of things we had to break as, as far as habits and such from the public school system. Like it was, it was actually more difficult for them than it was for, at the time, my nine-year-old. You know, just because they had been in it longer, my nine-year-old still was only in grade school, you know, like that K through five age. And then my older two had already gotten into sixth grade at that point, you know, we're about to start sixth grade. So it's a different, it's a different scenario for both of them. And I felt like it was easier for my younger one, even though it was just two years to adapt at age nine versus the 11 year olds. You know, what, what experience do you have and do you feel there is a better time to start your kids in homeschooling than another? So I'll give you my experience because my, my children were a little bit different. So with Isabella, at the time we lived in Texas and what we were involved in at that moment, um, we were, we had restaurants and we were developing the first uh, Mexican delivery franchise uh, back when there wasn't Uber Eats and all of these things, right? This is, you know, back in like 2007, 2006, 2007. Um, and then we also were still, we were still doing publishing. Uh, and I also owned pr prior to that, that I had just sold off with some indoor playgrounds. So we were, we were pretty busy. So when it came time for her to start school, homeschooling wasn't, the first thing I thought of, uh, it just, it wasn't, but also I'm the oldest of seven. So I have a lot of experience with, with public school. And although public school served me well, uh, it didn't, it didn't serve some of my siblings well. And so I knew that I wanted something different for her. Um, put a lot of time into it, found a really cool, super, super cool school called the lab school in Clear Lake, Texas. Um, if that school was around, I, I think, you know, I would have put my son there for his first few years, but she started there and there was eight kids in the classroom, open doors, the, the mindset and the way they approached education. It was very hands-on. Um, they gardened, they cooked, they did everything. So really loved the approach to education with this school. Um, but, you know, we had that recession. <laughs> and so when it came time for her to go into second grade, they called me and said, well, um, we don't have enough enrollment. And so you're going to have to either homeschool her or put her in school. And this was August. And I don't know if you know much about uh, private schools or, or even private schools in Texas. It's it's like a game, right? You have to start applying in December, January to get your child in. So here I am, August, middle of August. Um, I'm pregnant. My son was 
born August 29th. So you know how pregnant I am. And my grandma was living in our home full care. She had had a stroke and had come to live with us, had lived with us for almost a year. So I panicked. I was crying. I was panicking. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this child. I'm, I'm going to screw up if I homeschool. And Kay said to me, the lady that owned the lab school, she's like, look, just breathe. She's a brilliant child. You could basically do nothing but play with her for the next year and she won't be behind. And I'm like, play with her. She's like, you don't understand what children get out of play. And we cut that off. And we're under this, this idea that kids, once they go to school, that's when like their brain kicks in and they actually start learning, but they're learning from the moment they're born. They're learning and observing and learning how to adapt and they become these resilient little human beings, right? So I'm like, okay, all right. So for like three months, we did nothing because I didn't know what to do. And I actually started her in Laurel School, uh, Laurel Springs. We did Laurel Springs for a year. And I felt like we fought the whole year. It was the worst experience for me. I'm like, why? I took school, traditional school, not even the school she was doing at the lab school. And I brought it into my home and I had, you know, we were up at this time and doing all this. I had every moment scheduled. I had her eight and a half hours. It was the worst thing I'd ever done. So I did that for a year. And then I realized, okay, I have to, I have to really understand how to educate my child. Fortunately, for me, I've always been extremely aware of, of my children and how they're developing. So I, I knew her learning styles early on. So that wasn't a challenge for me, but I had to educate myself on a lot of it so that I could be the right kind of teacher for her. And then when, uh, so from second grade on, I've been homeschooling her. Now, when Jackson came time for him to go to school, there was no question we were going to homeschool him from the beginning. Because we had this incredible opportunity to allow his imagination and creativity to keep blooming. I mean, for a while, he thought he, um, you know, that he was a wolf that lived on Mars, uh, lived with Helen Cavallo, the cooking lady from the Disney Channel. And they had like 97 children. Right. And if he goes to school, people are going to go, that's dumb. You know, you don't you're not a wolf. You don't have a wolf pack like, you know, they kind of kill that so early. And they're they're taught to conform, sit down, be quiet, listen, only talk when you're, you know, all of these kind of rules and dis hidden curriculum. I talk about hidden curriculum a lot because it's a thing that we have to be aware of as parents, whether we keep our kids in public, private school or not, um, what they're teaching our kids about life and about becoming human beings. So you have to really pay attention to those things. For me, I would say if you have the capacity to homeschool, I would homeschool from, from the beginning. Um, you get to create this life and this education path with your child that is unparalleled and that will benefit them leaps and bounds. Uh, for Matt and I, we're trying to raise global citizens. Our kiddos have been to 29 countries. We have, the, we have the freedom to travel with them. We can take them, we can be gone for months and work from anywhere. Um, they're learning about cultures. They're learning diversity, learning about all the religions, not just the ones you know that um, are pressed upon them usually by, by parents. Um, so we're, we're open with that. They're, uh, they're learning different languages. They're, they're inspired to do that naturally, not something that, okay, well now you're in high school. You have to take two years of a foreign language. I, my kiddos have done it since little. I mean, they, they talk to each other in French right now. They're teaching each other Mandarin. Um, they taught each other sign language. I mean, there's so many cool things about it. So many opportunities that, are missed when you give your child away for eight hours a day.
Man, that's that's huge. I appreciate all that. So what advice would you have then? And we could leave it this way to to women, especially women, you know, because like we said, it falls mostly on them for, for the most part, especially those with a, a family right now, you know, th- that are maybe trying to make this transition. What advice would you have for them when they're just thinking about homeschooling, if it's right for them? Um, so I would say don't be scared. Don't be scared to consider it. I know from experience with families that it's a little daunting to go to your spouse, especially if you're working as well and say, hey, you know, I feel like maybe we should consider homeschooling our children. It's a hard conversation to have uh, because then the immediate thought is, do you have time? What are we sacrificing? So I think your spouse, it's a hard conversation, right? Yeah, 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 it's a really hard conversation, and you wouldn't think that, but it it really becomes it becomes complicated because I think I think we put all of these expectations on the men in our life. Um, they are they're supposed to be the providers. They're supposed to handle all the finances. They're supposed to be the solid one that keeps everything in line. And women kind of take this step back role to that. Um, I. I feel like along with homeschooling, women should also be involved in the finances and all of that in their personal life, understand their debt, their good debt, their bad debt. Um, see so many women who have no clue how their household is run. They just do things like buy groceries that don't even pay bills. And so one of the things we work really hard on with our children is financial literacy. And I I think it's important both for the kiddos and and the woman in in the family to work on this. But you know, I would say be fearless with your intention, and don't don't feel like you have to compromise your career for the homeschooling or homeschooling for the career. I mean, I you've seen how I work it out. There are ways to work it out. You don't think that you have to give up, you know, your entire day for it. And there is education in every single thing that you do. If you really think about it, we don't wake up and say, okay, well, today I'm going to spend one hour on gaining knowledge. We're gaining knowledge all throughout the day through conversations we have. I've learned things just by talking to you. Um, it's it's so easy with children to find real moments and nuggets of knowledge throughout the even playing games, <laughs> cooking, uh, measuring. My kids write the grocery list. They know the cost of different things. Like, you know, there's so many ways to incorporate education that they're probably already doing and they don't even realize it. And I would say also to really track your time and see where you can move things around. Um, I give this advice to to business people all the time. It's like, I, you know, I have this side hustle and I really want to know, you know, how to, but how do I do both? I feel like giving one up for the other, or I'm, I'm sacrificing, like track your time, see where you're giving your time away to time bandit, see what you're doing with your time. Are you constantly on your phone? Are you distracting yourself from yourself? Because, you know, you don't know where to move to next or how to adequately delegate your time or responsibilities to other people in your life. I mean, there's so many little things we can do, but track that time, figure out where, where you're wasting it, what you could do with it. And and be bullish about that, you know, and then also be flexible. If you're trying to set a schedule, 
know that the first time is not always going to work. You're going to have to try and try again. Like with me, I mean, I cried, we cried, we were angry with each other. I'm trying to, you know, manage all these catering orders for the restaurants and, and do my part there. And we had like five, you know, and then also educate my kid. And I'm like, Oh, but I got to educate my kids starting at eight 30, you know, just, you know, we put these expectations on ourselves and we're not realistic about the opportunity we have with our time. So I would say, um, that's the main one. And then also um, schedule and joy. I think the thing we do as moms who start homeschooling and we're also working, we overschedule ourselves to the point where we don't have any joy throughout the day. We don't schedule in breaks. One of the things I do for myself is mostly in business. But if I know that I need to have my head in a certain place for something I'm walking into and what I just walked out of really had me in in a different kind of zone, I gave myself five or 10 minutes. I hype myself up, turn on a favorite song. Right now it's Sunday's best. You know, I I listen to it. I kind of clear my head. Um, I think about what I need to bring to this next meeting or task that I'm about to do so I can bring my full self. Um, and I think women tend to do that. We think we have to be these multi, these uh, massive multitaskers who can do anything and be everything because we're a mom, we're a mom and we're a business person. We're super cool. We can do everything, but we don't, we don't allow ourselves any space or any grace or moments to find joy, you know, have lunch with your kids every day to make sure that, and don't bring in business or education or anything else, you know, just sit there and, and talk about the ups and downs for the day, you know, find ways to do that because otherwise we're, we're just taking all the good parts out of ourselves. That's fantastic. I tell you, you are a superwoman, no joke, because there's a lot that you figured out. It's, I don't think it's, it's not lost on me. I hope it's not to everybody listening or watching either that this has taken 10 years for you to figure out too. <laughs> you know, oh, too. Yeah. So it's, oh yeah. <laughs> but you look back and I, I remember those days of the suck also when we started this journey, you know, and we're only two years into it, you know, so, but you can make big strides and you can make them fast as long as you're just not committed to having a perfect on day one. I think that's true to, to pretty much everything, relationships, business, homeschooling, whatever, you know, just commit to making the strides and moving forward in progress, not having a perfect on day one. Jessica Mead, you're amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. You as well. This was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Everyone go to jessicamead.com, M-E-A-D.com and follow her. She's got a lot of amazing things on her site too. Thank you for being on. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.